What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. This week, we're looking ahead to Paramount Global's earnings report. The company that includes TV, movies, and streaming has been taking it on the chin from investors. Its stock has lost more than 50% of its value in the past year. So Wednesday's report could be pivotal. We'll be talking to an analyst who not only likes the stock, he's got a price target that's about 60% higher than where shares are currently trading. He'll explain why he's bullish on Paramount, even though its stock is suffering. Looking ahead, Wall Street is expecting the Fed's favorite inflation gauge, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Report, or PCE. That report is slated to be released on Thursday, and with stocks looking priced for perfection these days, we'll unpack what investors need to know to be ready. And as we approach February 29th, we'll look at how chief financial officers at some of the largest companies in the U.S. are getting investors ready for Leap Day. But first, what's up with Paramount? You know Paramount. It's CBS, it's Nickelodeon, it's Comedy Central, Showtime, it's the Paramount Film and Television Studios. Paramount's investors would be killing it if name recognition drove a stock's value. But it doesn't. Recently, much of the talk about Paramount has been as an acquisition target for media executive Byron Allen and others. Back in March of 2021, the stock price jumped to a high of more than $100 a share as the company, then known as Viacom CBS, ramped up the launch of its Paramount Plus streaming service. By the beginning of last week, though, it was trading closer to $10 a share as enthusiasm about streaming and about entertainment has deflated on Wall Street. So with all that in mind, we're looking ahead to what this week's earnings report from Paramount could tell us about what's coming next for streaming, for entertainment, and for media conglomerates on Wall Street. I've got Michael Morris, Senior Managing Director at Guggenheim Securities here, to break it down. Michael, I see that you've got a buy rating on Paramount with a $19 price target. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so that's about... 60% higher than where the stock currently trades. What do you like about this company? Because Wall Street does not seem to like it very much these days. Yeah, we see real intrinsic value in the assets at the company, even if that value isn't currently being recognized in the core operations or the way the street is looking at the stock. They own a major film and television studio one of the five or six largest entities of its kind in terms of making content that goes on the screen, attracts viewers, and engages them. They make content that only a a small handful of businesses can do, and we think that's one of the reasons that you're hearing discussions now about the company potentially being acquired. So talk me through this. Why has the stock struggled so much over the past year and really past couple of years, and then why do you think that's going to change? There's been a great transition from a period of very robust profitability for media companies that was rooted in the cable bundle. There was a lot of profitability, basic monopoly or oligopoly economics. When digital video emerged at this point 20 years ago, it it started to break down that exclusivity. The two biggest players in the space that 
created that problem for the legacy businesses were Netflix, which gave you some content at a price, no commercials, great substitute, and YouTube, which gave you a ton of content, free, some ad interruptions. And both of those started to really chip away at industry economics. Right. So what turns that around? Well, we've been pretty clear that we believe that Paramount could be an acquisition target for a company looking to maximize their own scale as they compete with some of those businesses I referenced before. So that would include Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney. And we have written that we believe Warner Brothers Discovery is one entity that would benefit from combining with Paramount because we think it would give them scale on the studio side, increase their scale. They would be able to help mitigate some of the cost duplication between the two services. But most importantly, in our opinion, and something that we think is overlooked in the general narrative, is that it is essential to have an NFL offering, in our opinion, if you want to be a major player domestically and you're not called Netflix. Yeah. Right now, Warner Brothers Discovery does not have an NFL contract, and Paramount does. I want to ask you then, because we've got Paramount's earnings report coming up this week. What are you going to be looking for in that earnings report that would get you more excited about the company's stock price actually moving up towards your price target? And conversely, is there something that you worry could come out in this earnings report that's going to drive that stock price even lower? I think that the management team at Paramount still needs to put a very strong foot forward on mitigating losses at their direct-to-consumer business, which right now those losses approached, we expect when they report this week, will have approached $2 billion in 2023. They've talked about that being a peak loss level or really peak losses in 2022. I don't think they're going to get to profitability, but lowering those losses uh, in 2024. And we need to hear more about what they're seeing in their linear business where we know that there's pressure from cord cutting and ratings declines, but we should be past a period of particular weakness during the strikes last year by the writers and the Actors Guild. And so we should have some new content coming back out. And we need to hear what the company has to say about their uh, programming pipeline beyond the current quarter, which would be the film slate for the coming year. So those are the things that could generate optimism on, the, on an operating basis. If we see greater than forecasted declines, on the subscription business, on the television side, and we don't see corresponding improvement on the streaming side, I expect that will put incremental pressure on the stock. That was Michael Morris. He is an equity research analyst and senior managing director at Guggenheim Securities. Up next, earnings have been moving the market lately. But when it comes to economic data... We know, Dion, it's all about inflation. People get it. It's enough already. We'll talk about this week's PCE inflation report when we come back. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. 
As my producer just informed me, I have been pretty clear about the importance of inflation data for the market. The Federal Reserve is watching inflation, and that means you need to be watching inflation. This week, we are preparing to get another inflation report, and it's the one the Fed considers most closely when making its decisions. To talk through what that means and how the markets could react to Thursday's PCE report, I'm joined by Gunjan Banerjee and Sam Goldfarb, who cover markets here at The Journal. Gunjan, let's start with you. Earlier this month, we got a hotter-than-expected CPI inflation report that caused a temporary sell-off in the stock market. Is there worry from the people you're talking to that we'll see something similar with this week's PCE inflation report? Yeah, that was a super interesting report because not only did it, you know, stoke the small decline in the stock market, we also saw a sell-off in the bond market. We saw yields record one of the biggest two-week jumps of the past few months. I think the one thing I keep hearing from investors is that these inflation reports will influence the speed with which the Fed moves and how many rate cuts we'll have this year. But I think people have come to terms with the fact that fewer rate cuts are not necessarily bad for the stock market. I think a lot of people enter 2024 hoping or expecting six rate cuts. That's gone significantly down. I think the big message from investors is that we're going to get rate cuts eventually. It doesn't matter as much when. I've seen that and I'm curious to ask you about that because to me, that was the big momentous, bullish theme, this idea that we were going to get a bunch of cuts from the Fed this year, and that was really going to juice the market. So if that's now taken away and we're not going to get a bunch of cuts, we're not going to get them early and often, why is there still this bullishness in the stock market? So last year we had investors versus the Fed, and the Fed won. Investors were wrong. (laughs) As they do. Right. Investors were wrong about how many rate cuts they would get. They thought they, they would get rate cuts last year. It didn't happen. But turns out that higher bond yields are not the boogeyman for the stock market that many people wrongly thought they would be. And I think that's why you're still seeing optimism in the stock market, because these higher bond yields, they just haven't deterred this tremendous stock rally because the economy has been much stronger than expected. And that interplay between bond yields and the stock market is just not what people thought it would be. That seems like a perfect place to bring in Sam. Hello. Sam, you watch the bond market. What is it you're hearing and seeing happening right now with bonds? Yeah, I mean, it's been fairly uh, boring this year, <laughs> um, especially compared to the last couple of years, which were... I think a lot of investors would prefer boring because yeah, yeah. years I mean, past, so, they've lost a lot of money. So yields have gone up and down, not uh, an insignificant amount, but kind of stuck in a range. Or like the 10-year Treasury yield has been sort of stuck between, let's say, 3.9%, and we reached, recently reached as high as like 4.3%. Yeah. Um, but we reached 4.3% in the aftermath of that CPI report, and and it could have maybe taken off from there and kept on rising back closer to the 5% level that we had at, in October of last year. But instead, it stabilized again and uh, retreated a little bit. And as Gunjan was saying, in addition to the stock market maybe not caring as much about bond yields as maybe it did a couple of years ago, it's also helped that the bond market sold off a little bit, but not like a, a crazy amount. But people are pretty much thinking, okay, does the Fed cut in March or in June or maybe even July? But not many people at this point think the Fed is going to raise rates. Yeah. So that doesn't matter so much. It does feel like the expectations for inflation this year have changed pretty dramatically in just the past couple of weeks. You talked about that reaction from the bond market, Sam. 
What do you feel like the bond market is telling us about inflation expectations, and how might that change based on this week's PCE report? Both the consumer price index report and the producer price index report weren't particularly good. And uh, data from both those reports feeds into the Fed's preferred measure, uh, the personal consumption expenditures price index, uh, which will be released later. So once you have the data from those two reports, analysts are able to get a pretty good idea for what the Fed's preferred measure will be. And it's not going to be great this month. And that is why yields have gone up a little bit. But the reason maybe that they haven't gone up more is that people are hoping, thinking that maybe this was just one month. A lot of businesses maybe reset their prices at the start of the year, and that led to this jump, but that things will sort of normalize and settle down in the months to come. Interesting. Gunja, I want to come back to you on that. I mean, what are you hearing about this report? It does seem like folks on Wall Street are feeling pretty good about the economy, about the trajectory and the direction of inflation. Is everybody just feeling really great right now? The CPI report and the PPI report that we just saw, it does up the ante for this inflation report because we only have so many reports before the next Fed meeting. And they were a little bit disappointing. Right now, it does seem like a lot of people are kind of brushing it off as maybe a one-off. It seems like the consensus still is that inflation is going to fall back towards that 2% range. And people don't seem super concerned. You know, a lot of investors I'm talking to are still in the soft landing camp. And I don't think that has really changed over the past few weeks. And it's funny because I was in um, I was in Las Vegas and anyone who thinks that we are going into a recession or thinks that the economy is bad. You step foot in that city and it was just insane. Like people were spending like crazy. You couldn't get a restaurant reservation. Everything was so expensive. Everything was popping. It was just like, where are the signs of a recession right now? There was a line to get into Hermes and Chanel. Not that I was trying to go, but... <laughs> but oh, you just saw the go... line, Gunjan. You just, you just walked by the line. You were in Exactly. It, huh? If I wanted to go, I could not go because there was like uh. a long line outside these luxury stores. So it's funny, we had that disappointing retail sales report. But it's just everywhere I look, I, it seems like the economy is still really strong. And I want to ask a question to both of you. As you are talking to your sources and reporting out on this, what do you think is going to be the most important detail in this week's PCE report? What are you hearing that investors are most closely focused on aside from that headline number? It's the core monthly number. So people are expecting around 0.4% for the core monthly increase in prices. And anything above that would be bad. Anything below that would be great. There's also, as part of that report, there's the data on income and spending among households, and that data is less transparent, less well-known. And so if there's a slowdown in consumer spending, slowdown in consumer income, that actually would probably, if, as long as it's not extreme, that probably would actually be good news for the market because they still are a little bit worried about inflation being too hot, the economy being too good. And so if, if consumers are like spending like gangbusters and it's all like that Las Vegas scene that Gunjan described, um, that <laughs> Where she that can't actually, get into Hermes. Yeah, they, yeah, that would actually probably not be great for the markets, I would think. But, you know, as long as it's nice and not too hot, not too cold, markets will like that. I'm always confused if we're in good news is good news or good news is bad news kind of phase for the markets. And Sam, right now you think we're in good news is bad news? Well, so we were in this nice world where for a brief moment, 
Good news was good news. <laughs> for a brief um, meeting moment. Where you had like hot GDP, hot, you know, really strong jobs report, and the market was happy. Um, but that was because we had had months and months of, you know, cooler inflation. And there was a growing sense that, you know, we could have it all. Yeah, this <laughs> inflation know? thing is over. Uh, yeah, you know, as long as inflation is subdued, then let the economy be great. Now that we've had the not so great inflation data and the market reacted, you know, negatively, there's going to be a little bit more emphasis possibly on let's make sure the economy isn't doing too great. So it's still an open question, though. And I think people really want to live in that good news is good news world, um, which just kind of like makes sense for everybody. <laughs> I would argue that we still are in that world. Bond yields right. have still risen on the year. The stock market is still up on the year. It seems like it's been a pretty good news is good news year so far, but that does, you know, as we talked about already, like up the ante for this report. That was WSJ reporter Gunjan Banerjee. She covers markets and WSJ reporter Sam Goldfarb. He does the same. When we come back, I'll explain why investors who own stocks like Chipotle, Delta and Walmart may have gotten a warning from those companies about the year 2024. WSJ Special Access gives you a front row seat to some of the Wall Street Journal's most exciting content, like The Quirkier Side of Life, a new series that features the fun, surprising stories our reporters come across. The chief executive walks 10,000 barefoot steps every day. He recalls stepping on a bee, which put him off earthing for a couple of days, but he got back to it. Check out The Quirkier Side of Life on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. One more thing before we get out of here. I want to talk about Leap Day. 2024 is a leap year, meaning that we have an extra day in February. That's happening this Thursday. Mark Maurer, who covers corporate finance and accounting for WSJ's CFO Journal publication, explained to me why this is something many companies' chief financial officers have been warning investors about. You've heard it pop up on calls uh, from Delta Airlines, Chipotle, Walmart, just letting investors and analysts know that this year might be a little bit different. So they might provide an estimate of additional sales that they are expected to receive as a result of this additional day. But what about workers? For those of us on salary, we don't get paid for that extra day. I asked Mark about that as well. Your workers who are paid by the hour are likely to experience that benefit more so than someone who's salaried and would not receive necessarily more pay for that additional day. So do you feel like salaried workers should just take the day off? Like, listen, I'm not getting paid for this day. I'm not coming into work. I can't comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, February 25th. The show is produced by Jess Jupiter. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Melanie Roy is our supervising producer. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Rabowin. Stay smart. 
there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. Coming soon from the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.